Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. on forever and the way that eternity impacts our every day. Um, it's just been a few weeks uh, that we've been doing this. It's, it's um, producing a ton of fruit in my own life. I hope it's causing you to question um, things. How, how many of you have been told we can't know what heaven is like but rest assured, it will be better than you can imagine. Anyone been told that? Well, we can't, anyone ask a question like, will we do this there? Will it be like this? And someone, their response to you is, we can't know what heaven is like, but rest assured, it's better than you can imagine. That definition of heaven has brought no rest to me and no assurance to me. I don't know how you're doing with your rest and assurance in something you can't imagine, but nothing that I can't imagine brings rest or assurance to me. The other issue that I see with that definition, well, we can't know what it's like, but it'll be better than you can hope or imagine. How, how can we set our hearts and minds on something that we can't imagine? How can we live for something that we can't imagine? Colossians 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. This Greek word for set your hearts means a diligent, active, single-minded pursuit. How do we have a diligent, active, single-minded pursuit of something that we cannot imagine or fathom or is beyond anything that we can know or see. How how do we do that is the question I've been asking. And just just the fact that Paul has to command us to do it, just the fact that he has to say, do this, set your minds on this, implies that it doesn't just happen naturally. It's not like our default position to be fixed on things above. Usually when people um, tell me, like, we can't know what heaven is like, but rest assured, it'll be better than anything you can imagine. They quote uh, this passage. Then they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. We can't know what heaven's like, but we know that it'll be better than we can imagine. The problem is that they always stop short of verse 10. They give us part of this scripture, but not the whole scripture. That scripture actually says, the one that you've been told, chill out, 
quit asking me questions about your dog being there. No eye is seen, no ear is heard. You can't really imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. Goes on to say, but God has revealed to us those things by His Spirit. You can't imagine it, but God has revealed it. And the truth is, is that we can know what heaven is like. We have to be able to imagine it. We have to become obsessed and fascinated with it. We have to be able to envision it in order to set our minds and hearts on it. Well, who knows? Who knows what it's really like? The Spirit knows. And the Spirit of God has revealed to us what heaven is like in the Word of God. We get a picture of what heaven is like. Of course, we see in part, right? We can't know everything, but that doesn't mean that we can't know anything. Well, we can't know everything, so that means you can't know anything. And it's like, no, we can know some things. There's enough in Scripture for us to get a vision of heaven. There's enough in Scripture for us to envision eternity. We can't get our minds completely wrapped around it, but we get glimpses of heaven. We can imagine it. So today I want to attempt um, to answer the question, what will heaven be like? And to give you glimpses, because the Bible gives us glimpses. Again, we can envision it. You can't get your mind fully wrapped around it. But just because we can't see the whole thing doesn't mean that we can't see nothing about this place. Before we answer this question, and I, I, I imagine that for many of you, this will probably be the only thing that you walk away with uh, today because it, it really has been a shocking uh, discovery for me. Uh, it's really been changing the way that I, that I think. But before we answer this question, what will heaven be like? You have, you have to understand that that question has two different answers. That the question, what will heaven be like, has two different answers. When we use the word heaven, we need to distinguish between present heaven and eternal heaven. The Bible describes both. Present heaven and eternal heaven. Or intermediate heaven and the new earth. Here's the mind-blowing sentence that you'll probably remember as you leave today, where you go when you die is not where you'll spend eternity. Where you go when you leave here is not where you will spend eternity. Present heaven, where you go when you die, and our eternal heaven, the new earth, can both be called heaven because heaven is the place of God's special presence. And God will be in both of those spaces, so both those spaces can be called heaven, but they're not synonymous. And what I find is that there's a lot of confusion that surrounds this idea of heaven because we don't distinguish between present heaven or intermediate heaven and our eternal destiny, the new heavens and the new earth. 
So we have to, in order to answer the question, what will heaven be like? Uh, you need to know that there's two different answers to that question. Um, I, I've noticed that most of my assumptions about eternity come from ideas about present heaven. And that I've been, for the most part, pretty out of touch with where I will spend eternity. And so it's been really interesting to think about present heaven as a layover. I flew home from St. Louis yesterday. Uh, I told people I was going to St. Louis. I had my destination in mind when I brought my bags forward. When I checked in, uh, I did not tell them where I was laying over. I told them where I was going. And when I told people that I was going to St. Louis, I didn't tell them that I was going to Denver. That's where we laid over on, the, on our return flight. And really, intermediate heaven, present heaven, is really just a layover. It is not your final destination, because it's not our final destination, it does not get as much attention in in Scripture as the new heavens and the new earth get. Just like you, even if you had a long layover, I, I know Ryan and I, when we went to Sudan to dig wells, we had a night in Amsterdam, and it was a wild night in Amsterdam, not because of what we did, but because of what we saw, Amsterdam's a crazy place. You get to Amsterdam and you start thinking to yourself, I think Amsterdam needs Jesus more than Africa needs Jesus. Maybe we should just stay in Amsterdam. So yeah, we came home. And yeah, we talked about our 24 hours in Amsterdam. But ultimately, our destination was the Sudan. And so, really, I'm finding that we have spent a lot of time talking about a layover. So understand present heaven, intermediate heaven, where you go when you die, is not your final destination. Your final destination is to be, is to have a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That is your final destination. Final answer. It's a, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in some ways trying to make a, a point, so I'm, I don't know how God feels about me <laughs> calling the place of his presence a layover. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make a point, though, um, and I still don't know how he feels about it, even if I'm trying to make a point, but because it is described as paradise, it's not described as a layover, present heaven, where you go, when you die, is described as paradise. Jesus says that um, to the thief uh, dying on the cross next to him. He says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. This word paradise means a walled park or an enclosed garden. Jews believed that God would one day restore the Garden of Eden and paradise became the word to describe the eternal state of the righteous in present heaven, an enclosed garden, the best of what God has made but controlled, protected. 
So to call it a layover might be a little bit harsh. Uh, Paul is clear in Philippians 1.23 that to die is to be with Christ. He also says in 2 Corinthians 5.8 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The martyrs who we read about in Revelation who are in present heaven are with Jesus. And so these passages make it abundantly clear that there's no such thing as soul sleep or a time where you are unconscious to die. To be absent from your body is to be present with Him in present heaven. So when I talk about the layover, I'm not talking about a purgatory or anything like that. And I'm not saying that I believe in soul uh, sleep. When you die, you will be with Him in heaven. But we need to distinguish between present heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. Present paradise is the fate of the person who has placed their faith in Jesus. That is where you go uh, when you die. The other glimpses of present heaven uh, we get are, are in Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Let me read them to you. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. This is a glimpse of a current reality. This obviously is a future event that will play out, but this gives us a glimpse, a window into present heaven. Randy Alcorn, in his book on heaven, which I would highly recommend, actually makes 21 observations from these three verses. 21 observations about the reality of present heaven based on this picture we're given in Revelation 6. And remember, because we talked about it last week, that we're done with this Greek way of thinking where we separate what is spiritual from what is material. And we're thinking about this really literally as if God really did want to give us a picture if he, as if he really did want to create bridges so that we could, in fact, imagine what life is like in present heaven. Let me uh, just read to you these observations, since they aren't my observations, they're Randy Alcorn's. And I can't believe he came up with 21. The first observation from this passage is that when these people died on earth, they relocated to heaven. So, to be absent from the body is to be present with Him. Number two, these people in heaven were the same ones killed for Christ while on earth. This demonstrates direct continuity between your life 
on earth and what's going on in heaven. Our identity on earth will be our identity in present heaven. The martyr's personal history extends directly back to their lives on earth. There is a connection between who you are here and who you are there. The third observation, people in heaven will be remembered for their lives on earth. They were slain because of the testimony they maintained and everyone knew it. They called out. This means they're able to express themselves audibly. This could suggest that you exist in physical form in present heaven, but they had vocal cords. They could express themselves. People in the present heaven can raise their voices. This indicates that they're rational. Uh, They can communicate their emotional, even passionate, still passionate beings like people on earth. They called out in a loud voice, not loud voices. Individuals speaking with one voice indicates that heaven is a place of unity and shared perspective. That is, they all get it. The martyrs are fully conscious Rational and aware of each other. God and they are aware of the situation on earth. They ask God to intervene on earth and to act on their behalf. How long, O Lord? How long till you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long? Number nine, those, this is a trip. Those in heaven are free to ask questions if they're screaming how long which means they have an audience with God. Here's the other thing that's profound. It means that they still need to learn. If they're asking questions, they still need to learn. Am I right? Number 10, people in present heaven know what's happening on earth. The martyrs know enough to realize that those who killed them have not yet been judged. Number 11, heaven dwellers have a deep concern for justice and retribution. When we go to heaven, we don't adopt a passive disinterest in what happens on earth. On the contrary, our concerns will be more passionate and our thirst for justice will be greater. Neither God nor will we be satisfied until His enemies are judged, our bodies are raised, sin and Satan defeated, earth restored, and Christ exalted over all. We won't be satisfied, fully satisfied until that happens. The martyrs remembered their lives on earth. They even remembered that they were murdered. The martyrs in heaven pray for judgment on their persecutors who are still at work hurting others. Um, this suggests that they are not only seeing but praying for those on earth. Those in 
those in heaven see God's attributes. They say you're sovereign, you're holy, you're true. They see it in a way that makes His judgment more understandable. I had that experience when I watched the new uh, Noah movie. Um, They depicted uh, human depravity so well, I just couldn't wait for the flood to come. Did you have that experience? I usually have wrestled with that. Like, really? Flooding the earth? It seems harsh. And then I watched the movie and I was like, send the flood, end this. Wipe us out, God. Don't even put up with this. Um, Those in heaven are distinct individuals. Another observation. Each of them was given a white robe. There wasn't a a merged identity. They didn't give give one big robe. The martyrs um, wearing robes, again, suggests that we have physical forms because disembodied spirits don't wear white robes. Um, the, 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 the fact that there are white robes, that might have a symbolic meaning, but just because it has, remember we talked about this last week, just because it has a symbolic meaning doesn't mean that we don't take it literally. Doesn't mean that there isn't actually robes. God answers their question indicating communication and process in heaven. Um, Again, we we have questions. Um, God promises to fulfill the martyrs' requests, but says to them, hey, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. So those that are living in heaven uh, are living with anticipation. Your loved ones who are in present heaven are living with a sense of anticipation. They too understand that they're waiting. Um, There is time uh, in the present heaven is another observation. If the white-robed martyrs ask, you know, they ask God a time-dependent question. So they're not floating around without time and space. They're asking a very time-dependent question. How long, O Lord? Indicating that there is some sense of Time in heaven. Number 20, the people of God in heaven have a strong connection with those on earth who are called their fellow servants and brother. We share the same Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And this is maybe the most comforting of the observations. Number 21, our sovereign God knows down to the last detail all that is happening and will happen on earth, including every drop of blood shed. And every bit of suffering undergone by His children. I hope that messed with you like it messed with me. My great joy to stand up here week after week and mess with you.
I don't know about you guys, but I maybe one of my biggest questions surrounding present heaven is how could it be heaven if we are aware of the suffering that is going on here? How could it be paradise if we are aware of the evil and we are aware of the suffering going on down here? How could it bring rest, assurance, peace? How could it be that special place of God's presence if we're still if that's still going on and and to answer that question honestly I would have to say I don't know I don't know but here are some things that I think will will help us understand how present heaven can be so aware of what's going on here on earth and still be a place of paradise, a place of peace, a place of joy. The first thing I want you to think about is that God is aware of what's going on down here and it doesn't diminish His joy up there. So for God, He is aware of what's going on down here, but it does not diminish His experience in heaven. The second is that the question of how can we be happy in heaven if we are aware of what's going on on earth suggests that in order to be happy, we have to be unaware. That ignorance is bliss. That true happiness is not knowing. And I would challenge that and say that happiness in heaven is not the result of being unaware. Happiness in heaven is the result of perspective, which I believe we will gain much of. And you've tasted that in your own life. The joy is not the result of putting your head in a hole and being unaware. Joy is the result of perspective. The second thing, or the third thing, I want you to know is that Jesus was grieved by things down here. Now he has ascended and is up there. Do you think that just because he is up there, he's no longer grieved by things? He was grieved here because he had compassion on people. Now that he's ascended into heaven, does he no longer have compassion on people and feel grieved? I would suggest to you that's not the case, that he still experiences grief in present heaven. Nowhere in Scripture are we told that in present heaven we won't experience sadness. The Scripture in Revelation that is often quoted about sorrow in heaven does not have to do with present heaven. It has to do with the new heavens and the new earth when God finally comes and judges and He will wipe away every tear from your eye. Not only will He wipe away every tear, but He will wipe away the things that caused those tears. And it will happen and there will be no sorrow for eternity. That scripture is referring to life on the new earth. It's not referring to present heaven. All that to say, I don't know. 
I really don't. I've been thinking a lot about it. I, I, feel, I feel that if there's continuity between my life here and my life there, how could I not struggle with regret? Because today we just ignored Noel. But one day it'll be like, are you serious? Should have listened to Noel. You've seen the movie Schindler's List where, uh, you know, he gives so much to rescue Jews um, during the Holocaust. And at the very end, they come to thank him. And he just starts freaking out, you know, like this pen I'm holding could have saved more people. And he can't necessarily even receive uh, the thanks that's coming his way because he realizes he could have done so much more. And there's part of me that fears that when I arrive, I'd be filled with regret because we could have done so much more. There's huge debates about whether we will have physical form in present heaven. Again, there's, I believe, no grounds for soul sleep but there is a debate surrounding whether we'll have physical form. And if we do have physical form in present heaven, which I believe we will, um, if we do have form in this intermediate state, it will not be our physical and ultimate bodies. Uh, Again, you may get a rental car while your real car is in the body shop but it will not be your ultimate ride. So where will we be for eternity? What does eternal heaven look like? I believe the key to understanding our eternal destination is to move beyond heaven and the imagery that surrounds heaven for us that we received from country music songs or I don't know where you got it but to move beyond heaven and to think about resurrection. Resurrection as the hope of the Christian. To leave behind all the ethereal, disembodied, sing-along-in-the-sky type of stuff that you've picked up. And to move back towards the gritty resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the eternal destination, where we head after the layover, is to a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That is the hope of a Christian. John Stott writes, Christianity is at its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. We we celebrate resurrection every Sunday here, not just Easter Sunday. But I find that we talk a lot about how Jesus died for us. This is what we say. Well, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. He died for us. He died for our sins. The cross... He died for us. But Paul's really clear. 
that if all Jesus did is die for you, then you're still dead in your sins. If all He did was die for your sins, then you're still in your sins and you're going to die. He rose for our salvation. And now we're raised with Christ. He didn't just die for your salvation. He rose for your salvation. The other thing that's really interesting is we keep saying Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is church talk. If you've never heard it before. We say Jesus is is Lord. He's the Lord. We just worship you Lord. Lord. And what what I'm realizing is that Jesus' Lordship is established by His deity and His divine nature. The foundation of that is His resurrection. If He did not rise from the dead, then He is not Lord because He is not God. The resurrection is everything to the Christian. Not just a Sunday morning, Easter Sunday celebration. It's an every Sunday celebration. Resurrection is at the very heart of the Christian faith. Is this is this wor- is this helping you guys? Okay. I don't want to assume that I'm saying stuff that makes sense. So uh, I really I really feel like uh, rather than rush through this because uh, I've got quite a bit more. Um, that I'm just going to stop here after a description of present heaven and with a tease of our eternal heaven and I'm going to revisit this next week because I don't feel good about rushing uh, through this. Again, There is some real excitement being generated in me when I think about the, the, the fact that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to me. He, after his resurrection, walked the earth for 40 days so that we could get a really good idea of what heaven will be like. And it's an exciting picture. He ate. He drank. He stood. He talked. There was continuity between his life before death and his life after death. He had breakfast with his disciples. He cooked fish. And he didn't do it by snapping his fingers or roasting it with laser eyes. Built a fire. He put fish on that fire that he caught. And there's something so earthy about it. And I'm getting so excited. We're promised a new earth 
not a non-earth. We're promised a new body, not a non-body. We're promised that when He comes, He will renew all things, not destroy all things. This earth as we know it, destined for destruction and also destined for restoration. What I'm seeing in Scripture is clear, compelling, and exciting. There's something in each of us that longs for heaven on earth. What We say things like, well, this place is not our home. And yet there's something in us that kind of wishes it was. But we just want this earth without the curse. The good news is that whatever the curse touched, Christ will touch and redeem. Jesus, thank you for going as far as the fall. Thank you that what the hope we have in you is an anchor for us and not an evacuation plan. Like what we're going to do is escape this earth. Jesus, you're coming to rule and reign right here. And we say, come quickly, Lord. We say, sounds good to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, could you do me a favor? Uh, uh, while you leave, um, if you have questions about eternity, questions about forever, um, would you be willing to email me your questions? Uh, Travis at radiantvicelia.com. If you have questions, things you've always wondered, um, I'm not promising that I can answer those, and I'm not promising to answer them in next week's sermon. Apparently next week's sermon's already written. Uh, but I would like to address your questions and concerns um, so that you can really picture the thing that God's called you to set your mind and heart on. Travis at Radiant, Visalia, and then I'll forward that on to someone smarter than me. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. I